0: Uh, yeah, I'm super grateful for this opportunity uh, to be up here and preaching on this uh, series uh, called um, Jesus Movement. Uh, it's my first time preaching on it, and I'm really honored to be doing it um, today, so peace be with you, Tula. Uh, so good to see you. Um, I wonder how you're doing this morning, like how are you holding up? How have you been? How's family? How's Devon treating you? How's work? Um, but more than so, just much love. I love you guys. Um, and I have one encouragement to begin from. Uh, it's the voice that will shape the talk of today, uh, just as a pre-roll before the main message comes in. Uh, the verse is from 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 3, verse 16. It says, or it reads, Whenever anyone tends to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, who with unveiled faces, contemplate the Lord's glory And are being transformed into his image with every increasing glory which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. We are about to see it right now being on full display um, where the freedom comes from. Uh, And my encouragement for us this morning is that where the Spirit of the Lord, there is freedom. And I pray that may we be set free. From whatever bondage, whatever thing that lingers in, in our backdrop of reality and life, that may we be set free as we behold Jesus and contemplate upon his glory. So the title of this message of today is, um, Jesus has authority over the supernatural world. Therefore, go and tell everybody. If there is anything to take away from this message, it will be just this one sentence. Jesus has authority over the supernatural world. Therefore, go and tell everyone. Okay, so we're going to pre-roll to um, my face point, which is Jesus is king over unclean spirit. There's a great quote by this amazing guy called Charles uh, delay? Something like that, but yeah. Um, the quote is The greatest trick that the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he did not exist. I don't know about you, but the first time I was reading through this passage, I was like, oh boy, like, am I the one to deliver the message based on this passage? <laughs> I just felt like this is too much. Like, there's so much going on. Um, in this passage, and I'm not sure if I can be able to uh, articulate it properly, but I just trust God that he will help us and use me to be an instrument. So it reads on verse 2, When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. Impure spirits or unclean spirits or demons are interchangeable. So those terms like mean one and the same things. Uh sometimes they even go as far as calling demons like little devils or devils. Um I'm sure by now you know the tone of the message is a little bit like sound a little bit dark, like devils, unclean spirits, or no. You know, like yeah, but the reality is, God has supernatural opponents, uh, which are called demons. Demons are fallen angels, deathless creatures, serving Satan. They join Satan's rebellions, um, and their minds are set. Their minds are permanently set on opposing God, um, goodness, truth, the kingdom of Christ, the welfare of human beings. They have limited power and movements. Uh, they're not all powerful as God. Um, and they can't move like God. God is omnipresent, but they're not omnipresent. Um, But we'll dive into that just now. Satan is an accuser of God's people, a destroyer, the tempter, the evil one, the prince of this world, ruling over men to promote anti-godly lifestyles. He is the murderer and the father of lies and the sponsor of all ungodliness and deceit. Um, That's what... um, J.I. Parker just c- captures in the most simplest and beautiful way for us to understand who are their spiritual opponents. Um, so, Philippians 2, 10, v- verse 10 to 11. Um, at the time, oh, uh, sorry, not at the time, at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. And now we're about to see it being on display. When Jesus arrives in this town called Keketa, he's not arriving to a holiday destination, but to a battlefield where he destroys an army of demons without a sweat. His composure is still, his power and authority is on full display as he is in charge of the natural, the violent winds and waves from the previous chapter when they're crossing over the ocean, the storm rose, and then the, the the disciples panicked. They're like, Jesus, we are going to die. And he's like, You have little faith. Where's your faith? You're not gonna die. And he silences the winds. And now he's about to show to his disciples that hey guys, I'm not only in charge of the natural world but I'm also in charge of the supernatural world. He is the Son of God of the Most High. He came to save all that is lost, no matter how severe are the conditions. He is the Almighty One and the only one who can save. When the man with an unclean spirit sees him, he runs to Jesus. I wonder if the demons inside of him wanted to run the opposite direction. I wonder if they wanted to hide in the cave from Jesus. But who can run away from the Son of God? Who can hide from his face? He is the Almighty and the Omnipresent One. So the man runs straight to him. I don't know about you, but this sounds a little bit crazy to me. Like this demon-possessed man crazy butt naked running towards you it's just not a beautiful picture (laughs) you're just like what is happening um so here are the characteristics of this man so i will use they because i'm including them both the man and the demons inside of him so they bow down before him this wasn't worship but this was defeat why do I say this? Because the man was a violent man. The man was, a self, was self-destructive. was self The man was lonely. The man was untamable. The man was cutting himself with stones. The man was naked. The man was evil. The man was unclean. The man grieved the whole community because of all the demons that live inside him. But at the feet of Jesus, he bowed down in defeat. It just sounds a lot crazy to me, like this wild individual full of demons and all these adjectives and verbs that describe him and then all of a sudden when he sees Jesus, he just comes before his feet and bows. No one can tame him, but Jesus can. This is when we begin to see this truth. That Jesus is in charge of the supernatural world. That as Jesus has showed up to town, he has shown up as the king of unclean spirit. As a king who rules over unclean spirit. One thing that the community tried to do was to try and maybe see if they could shackle him down, uh, put him on the ground, uh, try and treat this man from externally, but the truth is we cannot treat spiritual wounds externally. You can try to, to do whatever, like, I mean, they try to do like anything possible or everything possible to help this man externally, but they fail to see that, like, they cannot help him because the problem is a spiritual problem. It's not an external problem. For all our external problems, there is a cure. For a flu, there is cure. There's medicine. For exposed wounds, there's medicine. Um, Surgery for muscles that are torn, and organs, but for spiritual wounds the cure is only Jesus he's the only one that's how when he shows up all of a sudden what the community could not do it's possible the man is still and is defeated and he bows down before Jesus because he's the only cure for spiritual wounds and for the supernatural wounds I wonder if some of us I don't know where you are or whether you resonate with the story directly or indirectly. Directly will mean like maybe you have tried to put some chains or some control over your life, over a situation that just always draws you out of control. I don't know what that battle looks like. I don't know what that struggle is. But I'm not saying you are demon possessed. I'm just appealing on the side of Spiritual wounds require Jesus to heal them. Maybe you may try to, I don't know what you've tried to do, like put systems in place or whatever, but you just feel like, still I'm dry, still I'm dry, still I'm empty. I'm working hard in this area, but still I'm empty. I don't seem to win. Run to Jesus, He is the King of unclean spirit, he is uh, the cue for spiritual wounds. When we meet with him, we are instantly healed. Not instantly healed, not only instantly healed, but also we are delivered. Another part that I would like to encourage us on will be maybe, I don't know, but I just feel like at times as we wrestle with spiritual wounds, somehow they get us to a place of lukewarm Christianity because we are limping a little bit. If not directly, this is what the enemy will try to do. The enemy will persuade you, will attack you, uses little devils, in in a spiritual realm to take you, just so you become a little bit cooler, not hot. When we received Jesus, we were hot. We were like on fire for Jesus. We had this passion and zeal for Jesus. But as time goes, the enemy knows exactly. And he puts the right temptations before you to numb you down, or to cool you down. And we end up with lukewarm Christianity. And we think lukewarm Christianity is that Christianity because it has become all that we have known for the past maybe several years or months of you just living in that area. Like, yeah, this is what I do. I go to church every day. This is what I do. Um, I I read my Bible. This is what I do. I play some worship songs. or listen to sermons. But your heart for Jesus is is somewhat not on fire and for the things of God you're somehow not on fire you're not like yeah let's go Jesus anywhere you take me you're like let me think about it Jesus don't lead me spirit I would like to lead myself this is this this was a beautiful um, scene or there is a beautiful scene in Batman guys I don't watch like superhero movies a lot but on the plane back from the States, I watched The Dark Knight Rises. And I was like, okay, cool, let me just watch it. And there was something good um, that came out of it. So there's a scene where, in The Dark Knight Rises, where Batman argues with the, with the Joker. Batman has the Joker hanging upside down, and he states, the city has showed you. It has people, that it has people that are ready to believe in good. Joker loves, classic Joker. His state, (laughs) people change when their spirits are utterly broken. As I was listening to that on the plane, I was just like, shucks. Joker knows these tricks, man. He Knows his stuff. And then he adds, it's like, madness is like gravity. All it needs is a little push. Like, whoa. And Batman is just standing there like, What? He could not believe. And he's like, What have you done now? Because like he thought like he has ended the whole madness in the city where Joker was just throwing everything upside down. And he has finally caught him. And Joker says, This is my prophet's vision. He uses Harvey Dance pain to turn him against himself and therefore to destroy the people that are close to him. Harvey Dent was in charge of the city um, working with Batman, were close friends, in wanting to bring good and in wanting to resolve this madness that was happening in the city. But we see throughout the movie that he dies as a bad person, no longer friends with Batman. And Joker says, I brought him down to my level. And I was like, what? Like, he just uses his pain to bring him down to a joker's level and then for him to turn against himself and do the very opposite things that he stood against. And I'm like, Fliff, isn't that what the enemy tries and does with us at times? Like, he will use your pain. He knows your pain and your story. And he will break your spirit and use your pain to turn you against the things of God that you once desired so badly. You no longer have interest in God or in godly things anymore because he has used your pain and played his tricks. And all he has done, he has brought you down to his level. His level is just like, you know, he desires anything um, he works against. He's the opponent of God and he just wants you to see you being a lukewarm Christian because in that way you think you are still a Christian but he knows like you are ineffective he's okay with you being a lukewarm Christian but he's not okay with you being like a, uh, a very strong Christian and a follower of God and like have and having this amazing obedience when it comes to Jesus and his word that's like no 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 no. he doesn't want that but you being lukewarm doesn't bother him not even a chance because he knows that you know you're not gonna follow God. You're just gonna keep on that comfort space of non-effectiveness. Ephesians 6, verse 12. For our battle is not only against flesh, but against blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the worldly powers of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavens. This further highlights that, like our battle. It's not only one dimension or two dimension as we see it in this world, or three dimension even, but it's also fourth dimension, like it involves unseen things. So when Jesus steps out into uh, Gogesa to show himself as the king of the supernatural world, it's a very big statement. It's a very big statement. Because it says we can trust in him. No matter what the enemy draws as us, especially when we can't see it, but Jesus is also king. You know, it's, it's not like the enemy just like, ah, okay, cool, I can't tempt you here on the earth. Okay, I've lost the fight. Uh, let me try the spiritual dimension. Boom! And it's like, yes, I'm winning. They are not covered. But ever since Jesus came on earth, we are now covered. You know, he can't even go to like, ah, oh, now they can't see me. You know, I'm going to work on your subconscious when you're not aware, when you're dreaming. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm going to work on this uh, mysterious space where you cannot understand yet. But even when he moves to that level, Jesus just stands. like I'm king. And then what happens? All the demons bow down before Jesus. Even the man who was insane and crazy, demon-possessed, when Jesus shows up, he bows down. They're all defeated. There's also one thing I'd like to highlight about today's culture that I've been slowly seeing in movies or music. Is that like I got this sense that devil is slowly convincing the world that there's a good in him, like he's not all bad. I don't know, but I feel like 15 years ago, to see Satan in a movie would be like, whoa. But now to see Satan in a movie is like, ah, man, the guy with horns, ah, dude. Like, you know, like he's slowly convincing convincing the world that there's a good in him. He's not a bad person. He's not a bad guy, he can entertain us musically or dance with us, be in our movies, influence our political views, influence our personal orientations. He's not all bad, you know, he, he, just that he understands human nature. Um, he means no harm, history is, hasn't misunderstood or misinterpreted, which is a lie. It's a lie that is slowly convincing the world that it's okay to drift away from godliness And entertain and dance with Satan because it's not gonna harm you. But the truth is, devil hates you and me. Because we are the image bearer of God. He hates God. Like when I was reading this, I thought like Satan is like, I'm beefing with God. Like, you know, like like just when friends are beefing, they're like, ah man, I just don't like you right now. But Satan hates God periodly and permanently. It's not like he's ever going to change and be like, I'm going to be a nice guy for once. Like he just hates God. And he hates you periodly. There's no good in devil. He may start out as a nice guy, as we see in our culture today slowly. But once he gets hold of us, or once he gets hold of the culture... He will destroy the culture and he will destroy us. And we need to be careful of him and not entertain him at all. But this is not to scare us. Because we have the King of Kings who is the King of the supernatural world. And I will tackle this a little bit further down. There's something I want you to note. Earlier on, I mentioned that, like, um, demons are spiritual opponents of God. They work hand in hand with Satan. They're his buddies or chomis, uh working against the plans of God or the truth of goodness or the works of God. When the man, when Jesus speaks to the man, uh, he asks him, what is your name? At first, I thought, like, he's asking, like, this demon in him. But then I realized, like, Jesus here is asking the man, but the demon answers, to further highlight that the man is almost normal, has disappeared, but it's the demon itself that has taken over the man. And then the demons speak. The man doesn't say like, hey, I'm John, or hey, I'm Luke, um, but the demon speak, my name is Legion. I would have been like, I'm not talking to you, Legion, I'm still talking with the man. But that's me. Um, (laughs) uh, He's like, no, my name is Legion. He replies, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. Whoa. Wow, Legion. And then the name Legion comes from, like, um, or refers to the Roman army of 6,000 men. So the fact that there are many and and they are called Legion, basically they are a demonic army. Like, this is where my mind was blown a bit. I thought, like, this was, like, a man with unclean spirit. But it's, like, it's an army of unclean spirits. Like, it's this demonic army against this poor, broken man. Which they obviously have destroyed. And, but now again, one man, Jesus, is triumphant over them. And... And then the story goes, but when the man sees, sorry, but Jesus sees the man, although he has lost his dignity, humanity, and unclean, by the Jewish law in Numbers 19 verse 18, the man who, like, touch a bone or someone who has died or a tomb was deemed unclean. They had to go through ceremonial cleansing. So this man was unclean. Was unclean. Meaning there was being unclean and also being, um, being insane and crazy, it's a remedy for no salvation because who can cleanse you or take you to the altar for you to have your sins forgiven? Like it's impossible. Who can even touch you? Like we, we can't control you now you are unclean, that means you, you're, you're good as dead. You're going to hell, basically. You're going to die in your condition like that. But Jesus is still able to see the man in him and to reach him, even though he is even unclean because he lives in the tombs. When he meets Jesus, he meets him from the tombs. In, and the man on his wild well behavior. Jesus calls the unclean spirit to come out. But the unclean spirit gives a whole speech about how they know Jesus, which is very demonic and a little bit tricky for the demons. Demons are playing a trick on Jesus. They're like, hi, Jesus, we know you. Uh, You're the king of kings, the lord of lords, Um, uh, descended from on high, one of the most high God. Basically, they're just running down, like, the, uh, the old story of which they know. Like, they got kicked down from, kicked out of heaven. So, they're just running that whole story back to Jesus. Like, hey, Jesus, uh, my guy, just listen to us. We are, anyway, you win at the end. So, just kind of let us live in this area for now because our judgment is not, has not come yet. So, let us just bother this one person. We're not going to attack everyone in that area. You know, like, you win. You're a king. We are bowing down to you. They are playing the trick. It's like a child that you want to scold, but they're like, hey, mommy, my beautiful mom, just, you know, like, I made you tea in the morning. Just, you know, like, can we talk this out? It's exactly what's happening. like, hey, Jesus, can we talk this out? You win in the end. Like, come on, dude. You win. Just let us torment this one single person. But Jesus doesn't let them. But there's one thing I want you to see here about the demons. They show no care for Jesus' intentions or work. They don't care about the man even. The only thing they care about is their minded. They're like, hey, Jesus, don't torment us yet. We don't want to live here, da-da-da-da. But like, do you even care what Jesus wants or about the man that you are tormenting? No, they only care about themselves. And their mandate, which is still, kill, destroy. And repeat, still, kill, destroy. This is what they do every hour, whenever they can. Their mandate is clear and they execute it. And this is horrible strategy of the enemy. But we have no reason to panic yet because there is hope in Jesus. John 10, verse 10, this is what it says. That they've come only to steal and kill and destroy, but I have come so that they may have life and have it in full. This is why Jesus has shown up in this town. So that that poor man's soul can experience healing, life, and deliverance and be saved. The demons have come to still kill, destroy him, but Jesus has come to give him life and life in full and to redeem him. So even for us, we don't have to fear them. We have to be aware of them. But here's another trick that Satan will do. He will either make you more scared of Satan himself or demons that are like, I just can't deal with demons or even think about them. Like The fact of mentioning them sounds like I'm going to get possessed or I'm going to get an attack from the Satan himself. Like, no. But the reality is it's he either wants you to think that way or he either wants you to let go of him completely, to think it does not exist altogether. So here's two things. Those are the two tricks he plays. It's either you dismiss him completely or you just think like, he is super powerful. Another illustration that can help you maybe to see this is that like, I don't know if you've seen those photos where they have like Jesus and Satan like I'm wrestling. And, I, and I, I've, I've seen it quite a few of those like they're like playing the arm wrestle. I'm like, what? That's a false truth. That's false. They're not playing a false <laughs> an arm, an arm wrestle. Jesus wins completely. Like they're not even like, So anyway, like Satan is defeated. One is king, one bows. That's the story. But that's the analogy he want to preach to us. That is either he is bigger than God in our lives or he does not exist at all. But we need to be aware that he does exist. He does move around. He does attack people. He does take hold of people. But I do not think Based on the scriptures, that a Christian can be demon-possessed. But I do think that Christians can be attacked by demons. So that's why we need to be alert and aware that they are real, they do move around, and to be always in prayer and to always be holding in Jesus. And to rely on Colossians 2.15, which says, He disarmed the rulers and authority and put them to open shame by triumphing over them meaning Satan, and he has come to give us life and life in full. So we hold on to those truths. John 10, verse 10, and Colossians 2, 15. If we hold on strong to those truths, it's going to be well with us, be well with our spirit, and we will experience peace. We're not even going to fear him because Jesus has ruled over him. He has disarmed him. And Jesus has come to give us life in full. Now we cannot be robbed. And Jesus has authority over the whole spiritual world. So now there is hope. Now there is uh, a reason to be joyous. Now there's a reason to praise God that indeed we have a king who does not only rule in supernatural ways or form, but he also rules in a supernatural world. There's something I want you to notice about the demons. They ask permission to leave the area and to enter into the head of pigs. Which demonstrators that demons submit under the authority of Jesus and his supremacy? They do not do as they please. When I read this, I was like, why is Jesus even talking to the demons? I don't like the story is going to be short. Jesus shows up. The man falls down. Unclean spirit, out you go. The unclean spirit lives and then the story continues. Like quick and done, like under one minute. But there's something that Jesus want to reveal or Mark want to reveal about Jesus. That when he shows up, demons, they don't just <laughs> float around in the sky or continue to move as they please. They have to submit under him for anything. Maybe we believe that the world of evil just operates as it pleases but since there is a king it does not because the king has authority and Jesus does give them permission to enter into the pigs but there's something I want you to notice Which is, they have limited power, the demons, and move in ways that we as humans cannot. But Jesus has all the power, and he rules the supernatural world. And they're not like God, who is omniscient and omnipresent. This is how you're going to see it now. As Jesus gives them the permission, since they're not omniscient, all-knowing, they did not know Jesus was going to send a head of pigs to the lake and drown all of them. They thought like this was an escape, like you know, like they are a little bit wise, as in like they can play tricks, but not all knowing. Like as in like they're in the same level with God. Demons and Satan, they're not in the same level with God, in knowledge, and in wisdom. So they're like, oh Jesus, let us enter the pigs. This is a nice escape. But when they do, Jesus send them down to the lake, and they all drown the pigs, and the demons. The whole town is wiped out clean. There's another part which I won't dive in deep into it. It's Leviticus 10, which basically says that like um, our pigs are unclean. Um, um, they're not good for they're not good for food because uh, they don't have um, they don't they don't chew the cud. So they they just like unclean. But for anyone who enjoys bacon, like I mean, you you can enjoy your bacon. Like like there's no draw shades, but this is why the Jewish people deemed um, pigs unclean because the scripture like forbid them to eat pigs. Another um, reason was like pigs they just like eat whatever you give to them. Doesn't matter what it is. So that's why they also view them as filthy animals. Um, so in a way like for demons to not see the difference between the two, between the man who was living <laughs> in the tombs and <laughs> and the pigs. And they're just like unclean men, unclean pigs, pigs unclean, man unclean, tombs unclean. It's still like operating on the same level, you know? But it also it kind of feels like it's a, it, it's a strategy for them to stay in the same area for a long time because if they go to pigs and those pigs are not dead, the demons will still be alive around that area because they just need bodies. For them to be outside of the body, it's torture because anything in a physical world that we see has to be within a body, either an animal or a human body. So they flourish like viruses in our bodies whenever they can. But Jesus like lets them drown because he wants to clean the whole town. But hey, Everyone gets mad at Jesus when he does this. The whole village comes out. And when the whole village comes out to see what happened, they see the man sitting in clothes and his right man. The man is free. They're like, What? Legion is defeated and out of town. Pigs are all dead and floating in the lake. Like what? Uh, the people (laughs) plead with Jesus. Like, Jesus, please leave, man. Like, please leave the town, dude. You've just, like, destroyed our economy. Not only our economy, but our food supply, too. Please leave the town. Um, we know that you've kind of saved this guy, helped him out. But if his salvation is going to cost the whole economy of the town and the food supply, we don't want it. We would rather have him as demon possessed, as he was, and still have food and our economy on high spark. In a way, this reveals their hearts that they never cared about the man. Although they might have tried to treat the wounds externally, but they never cared about the man to be well. They only cared about themselves. They just wanted to put the man away. The fact that the man was roaming in tombs and in caves and in mountains and crying out with a loud voice at night and day, they're just like, how can we put this problem away but not solve it? They, they didn't have any care. Jesus, please leave. There's this beautiful poem by Kadara A.D. 31. It reads, Rabbi, be gone. Thy powers bring loss to us and ours. Our ways are not as thy. Thou lovest men, we swine. Oh, get your hands omnipotent and take this fool of thy, his soul. What care we for his soul? What good to us that thou hast made him whole since we have lost our swine. It's a poem that just embodies it, like We just don't care about this person, Jesus. We've lost our swine. We've lost our pigs, man. We just want our pigs back. Please leave the town. Pigs over souls. <laughs> what should be souls over pigs, not <laughs> not pigs over souls. Come on, town, get this right. But I wonder, for us in Devon, could we change this poem a little bit and be like, "Rabbi gone. Thy powers bring us loss. To, thy powers bring loss to us and ours. Our ways are not as thine. Thou lovest men, we love." the ocean, we love Netflix, we love Woolies, we love Jim, we love our homes, we love our cars, we love our private space. Take this fool of dying. take this Devon, take this Glenwood, take its people, his soul, their souls, what care we for, for them? What good to us thou had made them whole that you wanna make them whole since we will lose our comfort, our woolly's chicken, <laughs> our cars, and whatever we may lose in order to save souls. The question is, do we wanna do we want this great exchange of loss and gain but what if it cost us more what if it cost us the whole economy the whole town was mad like the whole town is mad. one person could save and the whole town gets mad because he just destroyed the economy what is the one thing that god was to take away and save a person through you were going like you were to go mad like no <laughs> like no jesus i know for me maybe like yo if if he took my laptop, because I also, like, try and make beats in them, like, a lot of time. If he took it away and saved someone, I'd be like, yeah, God, but really? I would be like, I just want to sit at home and try, like, I got this new idea. XO knows it. Like, I would, like, most of my spare time, I spend it trying to make up these beats, like, this beat. I've got this idea. I want to put it down. I want to write this new song. But if Jesus were to take away my laptop, I'll go paralyzed. I'll be like, man... <laughs> Jesus, surely, like, you didn't need my laptop to save him, did you? (laughs) You could have done it the other way, you know. But I wonder what it is for you. That if Jesus was to take it away and save someone, you were like, Jesus, nah. Please leave the town. But I just hope that the scripture encourages us to go like, yeah, Jesus, we rejoice that you have saved someone. We might have lost the whole economy of Etiwini and saved someone on the street. Because it was someone crazy. It wasn't like someone like worth saving, like, like this amazing businessman with a good heart, passion for Devin, want to save Devin. We love him so much. We all admire him. Oh, man, we got to save the soul. He's in the hospital, you know? But it's like the holigan. The uh, like the Wunga guys in Devon. <laughs> that room around the streets and like, um, and somehow, and sometimes we'll hop over the fence to, to steal. It's that person that destroys the economy of the whole Devon. And then he gets saved and it's like, whoa, no, Jesus, really, do you have to, <laughs> you know? So... I think there's a little bit of heart change that we also need to go through if we want to see people being saved and being transformed by this gospel. There is a little bit of depth and my prayer is that Jesus will help us destroy the economy and save souls. (laughs) Pigs over souls. (laughs) No, souls over pigs. (laughs) And then the last part, therefore, go and tell everybody. Psalms one, Psalms 9 verse 1 says, I will praise you, O Lord, with all my heart. I will tell of all your marvelous works. This is what Jesus says to this man in verse 18. Jesus, uh, Jesus was getting on the boats. The man uh, who had been demon-possessed begged him, can I come with you? Jesus did not let him. He said, go home to your town, to your own people tell them how the lord has done what the lord has done for you or how much the lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you i don't know like these guys they sound a little bit crazy and mad and upset that they lost the whole economy but jesus is saying go back to them dude you you can't escape from this like you're not running away with me like okay you are free Let's come on the boats and hope hard, you know. They were like, Jesus looked up in this town. The story would go something like, Jesus showed up in the town, he destroyed the economy, and then he left, you know. But now Jesus is like, "I uh-uh, no, dude, you go back and you tell them. It's like, but Jesus, the whole town is mad, And you're asking me to go back to the town that is mad." To tell them about what you've done for me, about your mercy. Sounds a little bit like daring. It's not an easy task. As much as I thought it's easy, like, no, man, just go back, you just explain what happened. But like, the people are mad that the economy is destroyed. And Jesus is asking you to go back and tell your story, which sounds a little bit like Devin. After the riots and after everything that has happened throughout Devin, for us to stand and tell of God's mercies is quite daring. How can God be good if our economy has been destroyed? That would be the first question. But Jesus is like, go to the whole town, tell them. run them up. And that person goes and he tells them in the whole town. And the people are amazed by the mercy that God has had on this guy and through his story. That's the power of the stories that we have. The powerful testimonies that need to go out and be shared around Devon in a form of declaration. Declaration is a beautiful way of evangelism. It's when you share your own story of salvation or a new thing that Jesus has done in your life. It can be two to five minutes, story, or an hour if it suits your audience. Maybe for some of us, we need to go home and write down our stories. And be ready to share them with strangers and around Devon. What has God done for you in the last week, in the last month? That's worth celebrating. That reveals that he has had mercy on you. Mercy, mercy is a Latin term which derives from price paid. So Jesus paid the price for the man to be well. What has Jesus paid the price for for you to be well, for you to be here for another week, for another month, for another strength? Go and tell someone about it. All you need is just courage. But this is where the man draws courage from. Verse 15, salvation changed him. Salvation clothed him. Salvation calmed him. That's where he draws his strength from. 18 to 20, salvation compelled them to desire Jesus. I want to come away with you, Jesus. Take me with you. But Jesus says, declare me in the whole town. So salvation compelled them to declare Jesus. Has salvation led you to desire Jesus? Has salvation led you to declare Jesus? If not, I encourage you to. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Freedom to express Him fully. And all who with unveiled faces contemplate on the Lord's glory and are being transformed into His image with every increase in glory which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. That's how I end today. Go and desire Jesus. Go and declare Jesus. Jesus is king and has authority over the supernatural world. Therefore, go and tell somebody. Go and tell someone. There is a remedy for spiritual wounds. That remedy comes from Jesus. We need to fight the lukewarm Christianity that Satan tries now and then and again to bring us down to his level of non efficiency We know that all our spiritual wounds can be treated by Jesus. He is the cure. When we feel weak, when we don't feel as strong, when we don't feel like we could jump again, but Jesus can cure us to be able to jump again, to rejoice and to dance and to express him. So that this verse in Corinthians where the spirit of the Lord is freedom, we can say amen to and experience this freedom, that we are free. Nothing can hold us. In the natural world and in the spiritual world, with Jesus, we have a king who has authority and who rules throughout and eternally. Can we pray, Mary?